Ricky the Dragon Steamboat came out with Sirius. Obviously, Sirius, the Alan Parsons project, is synonymously known with Michael Jordan and the Chicago Bulls. Right. I was thinking, oh, it's on FS1. So I'm thinking, oh, they can actually air the Sirius version with the song, not the Dub one. Don't get me wrong, the Dub version of Ricky Stenhouse... I mean, it's Ricky Stenhouse. <laughs> <laughs> wow, Ricky Stenhouse, that would actually make me watch wrestling. <laughs> 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 oh boy! I gotta make. Well, there's there's the opening intro right there. He would, he would have the only way that would work is if he has a mullet. Alrighty, this is behind the exploratory lenses, a Luis Torres multimedia podcast, and this is episode number two, entitled "Why I Retired from YouTube." Yes, indeed. I am no longer making YouTube videos, and I'll explain that shortly, but first and foremost, this is the episode where I'll have my very first guest, because as I mentioned, this show will provide an outlet for guests to tell their journeys, and get to know them a little bit more as just being for what they're known for. In my case, I've already explained it that my former alias is Auto Rock and Racing 94, and why I say that is because I was the red flag guy. And also, I made a couple videos about TV graphics that went nowhere and ultimately led to my retirement. And yes, I made that decision to leave YouTube because there's a lot of things that could be so much better and a lot of things that is wrong with YouTube as a whole that I decided, you know, my NASCAR 20-teens decade video will be my last one for the foreseeable future. I have no desire, I have no interest in continuing my NASCAR YouTube career because I saw the writing on the wall last year when I poured all the time and effort on those red flag videos dating back from 1990 to the present day in the cup level that the numbers weren't there. So I realized that people just simply don't care about the nostalgia factor unless if it's a NASCAR man or a Brock Beard. Which, I might add, those two are the standard bearers of what NASCAR YouTube videos should be all about. Accuracy, well research, no biases of any kind, and something unique and creative. Those two are the standard bearers. Another one that is a good standard bearer from a different side of the NASCAR YouTube community is Balto Racing, who will be my very first guest because this show is all about not me all the time. It is not. I'll talk some stuff then and there that I find relevant and bring it to you and give you some journey tales and advice along the way. But the biggest core of this series is to have guests a voice, an outlet to tell their journey. Maybe know them more than what they're actually known for. Balto Racing is one of those NASCAR YouTube community members that I certainly respect and one of the most criminally underrated people out there. Makes incredible music videos, hype videos. He is the standard bearer in that department. He was one of the originals back in the late 2000s and early 2010s before there was a scene called the NASCAR YouTube community. I was even around, except the difference is there was no such thing as a NASCAR YouTube community. It was just the race uploaders, those who post NASCAR content, and there's also me doing crash commentaries on me derping on video games, especially in the likes of Driven, NASCAR 09, Dirt to Daytona, to name a few. But ultimately, I became the red flag guy in 2017, but people forget the videos were short to the point because I wanted to keep it under 10 minutes, but then over time, as my platform grew, I had to make these videos longer and longer to show how red flag covers were done back in the day and give us some nuggets, as I like to say, 
as the one NASCAR in the 90s was really good for what it's worth and all across the board. Fortunately, last year, the red flags were more entertainment in that regard, thanks to NBC showing some light on those personalities instead of just going to rerun. And yes, my red flag video for 2019 has done amazing numbers-wise, but by a decade video, not so much. It's not even, to my knowledge, in 2,000 views, and I pour all my heart and soul into it. And because I pour all my heart and soul, I expected an excellent return because compared to the 2000s video, which was my most successful video up until those red flag clips, this one barely made a dime. It made nothing, and it was extremely discouraging. I knew in the back of my mind this was going to be my last NASCAR video I'll ever do on my channel because I just was not happy how the direction is going. I feel like the quality of videos all across the board has not been that good, where there's more ego involved. It's nice to have one, but when it takes over the quality of work, it becomes a problem, and then ultimately it did with the graphics videos. With So to the point that I decided, you know, how am I going to do an Xfinity or Truck Series red flag videos if there's no return? And I'll mention this, I've never made a dime. I have no desire to make a dime in those videos because they're not my clip. I always credit and attribute the people who uploaded those in the description below. Or in the case of the TV graphics series, I put it on the video itself because I feel like they deserve the credit and they rightfully earn the credit. And talking with a couple of those people that all share the same frustration as I have in this case because I no longer make videos on YouTube. This era that we're living in, as great as it, it could be, it could be way better. The quality could be much better. That's why I only put two in the highest stool right now that are consistently active. And those are indeed NASCAR Man and Brock Beard. Especially their collaborative projects have been bar none. They carefully well research their stuff. They don't miss factoids that are important to know. And that honestly what it boils down to. And they set the tone. The other ones, some of them are there. Others are off the mark. That you think to yourselves like, if with a little bit more research and more time and effort, the quality could be a lot better. And right now, the quality is just not quite there to most of us. And on the other side, that feel neglected, that feel outcast, that feel chastised. Because they're not within the big core entity that it is that's going on right now. I wish them nothing but the best. Of course, they're doing their own thing. The original guys, remember, they're the ones that paved the way. I'll never consider me one of the those that paved the way because I was just a crash commentator. But I've been around on YouTube for over a decade. And some of them have been there a little bit much longer than I have. And those are the ones that deserve all the respect and credit. And I always give them back in some shape or form. Crediting is key. And especially specific clips, you gotta credit them. If we could get that stuff around and also respect the back, the stuff of back in the day. And also, I'm a huge nitpick when it comes to audio and video quality. L and J cuts exist. And that's one thing I'll bring up later in the show when we were discussing Balto and I about how some videos could be much better. And it's not that easy. I know some people want to make a quick cash, but I'd rather make a quality video that people will respect, and hopefully the numbers tell me in return, they just make something quick, half-assed, and see a lot of errors over time, and people will call out on it. And the fact that some people that have all those numbers are doing really good, despite those errors, can be frustrating. It can be annoying. So I decided, you know, I'm just going to only strictly focus in 2020 on my media career, which is the writing and the photography, in this podcast, because YouTube videos takes a lot of work, and I'm at that point that if nobody's going to care enough to see the quality of work, then I just got to focus on something else, and then maybe sooner or later I'll come out of my senses, I don't know when that'll be, and I'll start doing videos again. Right now, I just need that break, and that's why I'm just out of the YouTube game. Not that anybody will honestly care, because sometimes the biggest thing is you need 
time to reflect, take a break, to find yourself again. And as far as video content is concerned, I need I need that time period. If I ever come back, you'll know I'll come back. Whether it's a red flag video for the 2020 Cup season or finish up the graphics series because I still have CBS, ABC, and ESPN to cover. Or something different. It never hurts to take time off to assure yourself the quality is important than quantity. And at this time, I feel like the quality has dipped from my end and I want to get back to it. Now, it's just not the time. That being said, that's as much as I'll talk about it. But as far as this current community is concerned, they could do so much better. I feel like they could do much better. There's some potential. And also just remember to stay humble. Remember your upbringings. Don't make it all about you. Do not. Because the last time I made it all by myself, it bit me in the ass. Not once, not twice, but plenty of times. And that's just part of human life. Just remember where you come from. Don't lose track of it. Remember where you came from. And that's what I'm going to do is just try to stop and reflect. And just focus on the bigger picture. Which is what I just said. This show, my media career, and my personal life. Because those YouTube videos did took a toll. And I need to change myself before I ever come back. Simple as that. With that being said, hope you guys understand the situation that I'm in. I just rather be a better person to set a better example. And that's why I need that time off. And, and once more, it just needs to be better. That community could be so much better. There's so much potential, but it could be much better than sometimes the often toxic world of that community can be sometimes. Now, before we get going to talk about Balto Racing, let's talk about music and what is the number one song on the Billboard Hot 100 charts. It is none other than Savage by Megan Thee Stallion featuring Beyonce. I'm noticing a theme right now, and that theme is that the guys are doing absolutely horrible with the number one hits. All of the garbage ones, with the exception of Blinding Lights by The Weeknd, which is 5 out of 5, the other dudes need to pick it up. They're doing horrible. I have not liked any of those dudes' songs. Whereas the females, they're doing pretty damn good. And I say Savage is a pretty damn good record. There's actual structure. There's none of that repetitive crap other than the chorus, which is intended to be anyways to be repetitive. That's what a chorus is meant to be. I was thinking to myself, oh, jeez, Beyonce's in it. Oh, boy. I'm not the biggest Beyonce fan either. She's a hit and miss artist. I find other female artists a little bit more better, especially Whitney Houston's way better. But that's another topic for another time. But it wasn't terrible. It carried some of the momentum of the song down. But when you listen to just Megan Thee Stallion, it's actually really, really good. It's passable. With Beyonce, it's still passable, but I cannot give it any higher than a 3 out of 5. Which is good. By modern standards, of course. So, that's a little bit of music talk for you. And with that being said, let's transition to a more positive thought. Let's talk about my very first guest. It'll be none other than Balto Racing. We talked about Chase Elliott, especially what happened at Darlington when Kyle Busch ran into the back of him, sending him in the wall, which Elliott flipped him off. Danny Hamlin won the Toyota 500K that was range shortened for the first red flag at Darlington Raceway on the cup level since the 2001 Mountain Dew Southern 500 won by Ward Burton. And... We will talk more than just racing. We'll talk about baseball. We'll talk about the Oakland Coliseum. We will talk about some music and how it's supposed to be done when it comes to YouTube videos. With that being said, there are times that all of us have our own tastes and preferences that are that we're all passionate about. Just keep that in mind when you hear this episode and any other episode going forward. We all have our personal tastes. Like I mentioned last episode, I'm not the biggest Ariana and Justin Bieber fan. 
And I'll make this clear, country music is not my thing, especially the current one. It takes so much effort, and it takes a whole lot for me to enjoy a set dance of country. That's a little factor for you. Anyways, enough of the blabber, enough of the hoopla. Let's go to the interview. And who better to introduce Balto Racing than not other than the man himself. So take it away. Hey everyone, so this is Balto Racing. Um, I've been around YouTube for quite a while. Um, started around... My channel actually started Christmas of 2006, but I really didn't start making videos until 2008. Um, I'm the guy that started making Danica videos, then it moved on to Right Now videos, which move on to promos and music videos. So I've been doing that for quite a while off and on. Um, but also, I am someone who is very passionate in the sport for a long time. Huge Chase Elliott fan, as people can clearly tell if they're friends with me on Facebook or Twitter. Sometimes I say so stuff that are like, oh my god, you're an idiot. But, <laughs> but yeah, I... For people that know me, they know I'm a very passionate guy about the things I love, uh, whether it be racing or Orioles or, or coasters or ponies. And, yeah, I know ponies and NASCAR, that totally mixes. But I I hope that you enjoy my channel. I hope that you enjoy listening to me in this podcast, and I am so glad that you were able to have me on tonight. It is without question that when I look at the YouTube landscape, especially on the NASCAR side, there's one guy that I felt that is super criminally underrated in my regard of how well he puts his video. And that is going to be my very first guess of behind the exploratory lenses. It is none other than Balto Racing. How are you doing today? Pretty good, pretty good. Nice to actually talk about racing again. It's been a long few months, but... Boy, we got some exciting stuff to talk about, don't we? <laughs> oh, yeah, definitely, Wes. We're recording this. We're essentially a night removed from the Toyota 500K where Chase Elliott had a message towards Kyle Busch. Fast forward to it, we're recording right now. Kyle Busch ended up second to Chase Briscoe in an emotional second win of 2020 after all the circumstances that's happened with him and his wife, Marissa. Let's talk about last night's event, shall we? Oh, yeah. <laughs> so, for some people that know me, I'm a pretty pretty big Chase Elliott fan, so I guess you can imagine how I felt last night, and having one day removed from what happened, obviously it was not on purpose. I, I doubt it was ever on purpose. It was still just a mind-boggling thing for it to happen to where it's like, you you lost track of where you were for that moment, and you just completely took Chase out of, out of the race when that was completely and totally avoidable. I think that was probably the most frustrating thing about all that, and I love I love the bird seen around the world after that. <laughs> I think Twitter and all forms of social media have taken off since then. It's And you know what? Honestly, it's probably a good thing for the sport. It gives something for people to talk about. Oh, absolutely. When I when I saw that thing happen, I was thinking, oh, no. Oh, no. <laughs> for context, for those who don't follow racing, Chase Elliott is the most popular driver in NASCAR right now since Dale Jr. retired. And Kyle Busch, as I like to describe him, he's the heel. And what happened, I just said to myself, oh, thank goodness nobody was there, because imagine if people were there in that one. <laughs> he would have to have a lot of security. It would be like Martinsville 2017, I think. A fan actually walked up to Denny Hamlin, and they almost came to blows. And you would have had a similar situation last night if there were fans there. 
So it's probably almost a good thing that there was no one there. With everything that's happening with this health crisis, that's, we can view this as one of the few many positives out there. That there right. <laughs> sure, it may not be in a similar landscape with Dale Earnhardt Jr. after he turned him at Richmond in a way, but it'll be something similar because, boy, people don't, don't like Kyle to begin with, and he no less he's the defending two-time series champion. Right. <laughs> he is the antagonist that a comic book would dream of. And Chase Elliott is the protagonist that any person that writes a comic would dream of. So it's this clash when you have these two together that brings this huge influx of reaction towards it. Do you think anything is going to happen at Charlotte? No. No, I don't think anything happens at Charlotte. Because if you go back to 2017 with Denny Hamlin and Chase Elliott, the next race was not Phoenix, it was Texas, and nothing happened there. So I think Chase knows when to go back to the memory bank of what happened. It won't be immediately, but it will be a moment where Kyle's not thinking about it. And it may not be something where he just flat-out wrecks him, because at Phoenix in 2017, he didn't flat-out wreck Denny Hamlin. He just raced him hard to the point that Denny made a mistake, so... It, it doesn't mean a whole lot to do it now, but when it gets to September, October, when it really counts, that's when he'll probably start remembering what happened last night. Yeah, that, if, I, if there was going to be a time period that something like that will happen, it will definitely be later in the season when especially those guys are going to compete for a championship, pending on where Elliott's season goes. It's starting to look sort of similar to Jeff Gordon's latter half of his career when it comes to luck. Right, and he has been fighting that in his entire career. It's just, especially his first couple full-time seasons, how many times that he got so close and something happened to where he it just took him out of a shot at winning. He has had a lot, at least a double-digit amount of wins that he could have had that something for one reason or another has happened that's kept him out of victory lane. Most definitely, and people want to say he's overrated in the bus. When look at it, he's finished in the top 10 every single season. Right. His worst points finish is 10th. How is that overrated? <laughs> it's just a matter of, like, I don't... He's not Casey Atwood. <laughs> oh, Casey Atwood. Jeez. Now you bring up an interesting subject. 2001 rookie class. Do you feel like that's the worst rookie class when you consider the hype built on Rondo's rookies? And we're only judging it on the season alone. Right. And there was a lot going on that season as well. I mean, people thought Casey Atwood was going to be the next Jeff Gorin, and that clearly did not work at all. You know, I think for that that particular situation, especially with Casey, just having a completely new manufacturer of a completely new team, it was not going to be in his favor. And when you don't exactly put in the 100% effort that the Cup Series requires, it's going to show immediately. Oh, definitely. I think he put more effort in that Mountain Dew commercial than his tenure at Ray Abraham. <laughs> right. <laughs> Not just Abwood, you have you had Jason Leffler, Ron mm -hmm. Hornaday, Kurt Busch, and yes, Kurt Busch. And Bush. we're talking about great race car drivers, like Ron Hornaday, the best, <laughs> probably the best truck series driver ever. You know, Jason Leffler, someone who was amazing on dirt. You know, these, these were not scrubs by any stretch of the imagination. Yeah, even Kurt Busch had an abysmal 2001 season. It took a crucial change to finally get it rolling. And he didn't fully get rolling until the tail end of 2002, where he was like outside the top 10 with 10 races mm -hmm. to third at season's end. 
Right. You know, it you know, for some guys it takes one season, two seasons, and you know, they finally catch their stride. But yeah, Kurt was another one of those guys in two thousand one. He actually missed some races. I don't think people actually remember that, but he actually missed a couple races, you know? So it even back then, this 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 series is not easy by any stretch of the imagination. No, it's not. And another one I forgot to mention, Andy Houston. The thing I find funny to a degree is that the one guy who won rookie of the year was not meant to be running for rookie of the year. Right. <laughs> That's the craziest thing about all that. So, yeah, I would say 2001 is definitely one of the worst seasons when it comes to um, rookies in general. You know, not counting 2010 was just basically Kevin Conway, and we know how his career went. The early 20 teens, I don't even consider because there's just one or two rookies. But we're right. Talking, or even There's a good case you can make 2002 probably might be one of the best. Most of oh, yeah. Johnson and Newman. You know, a lot of people can make that connection between this year's rookie class and the 2002 rookie class. It's, I would say in my mind, it together, it's the best rookie class since 2002. Like Tyler Reddick, I don't, I'm amazed that everyone talks about Christopher Bell, Christopher Bell, but Tyler Reddick's won two Xfinity championships. He validated himself as being actually a pretty damn good racer with RCR. That is inferior equipment compared to JRM. I mean, for him right now, a bad run is 13th. He is is disappointed about a 13th place run as a rookie at Darlington. That alone should tell you how good this kid is. Yeah, and he's had his hands back when he was running for Keselowski, and even when he had the part-time Ganassi gig. Mm -hmm. Because there was that time period that anybody toss somebody in the 42, they're going to win at some point. Right. <laughs> yeah, it was around that time. It was just basically 22, 42, or 54. That was about it every single week. Now the competition is wide open. And the thing about people forget about that 2002 rookie class is that it was not just Jimmy and Ryan Newman. You also had Shauna Robinson and Carl Long. Right. But considering the equipment that they had and their, where they were team-wise, they were essentially non-factors, so we can forgive that class to an extent. Right, yeah, their their goals were obviously a lot different than Johnson and Newman that year. It was just basically showing up at the racetrack was was more of a checkered flag than anything else. <laughs> yeah, and then 2003, 2004, it has some similar buzz, but they had the rookie jitters, but also mm-hmm. some horrific seasons. Jack Sprague comes to mind. Johnny Sauter is another one, you know. It's he like finished the season with RCR. <clears throat> Right. You know, just because someone doesn't work out in the Cup Series, it doesn't make them a bad race car driver. It's just, you know, unfortunately, those circumstances just didn't work out for them. And, you know, for some of these guys who you would think they would have really good Cup Series careers, it just didn't work out for them. Yeah, they just have the one or two season of brilliance and the lower levels like a Scott Wimmer. Mm-hmm. And then just, sure, they they have that great run in the 500, but... Right, well, on pitch strategy, run. but... <laughs> yeah. yeah. After Mikey flipped, the race was clean for the rest of the day. Exactly. And then after that, the most noteworthy moment of his season was his run-in with Tony Stewart at Bristol. Otherwise, what did he really do that season? Other than just try to put the DWI ordeal behind him, because that happened before the season he began, which people forget mm-hmm. about. Yeah. And that's one of the that's one of the things that NASCAR Driver 360 pointed out. They will find those, they brought up that. Kenny Wallace and Ashton Lewis Jr. beef. 
Yes. Oh, and geez. I miss shows like that. They were so much fun to watch. <laughs> yeah, like, you, they could still incorporate it today if they wanted to, but considering where we're at right now to where it was in 0405, it's a nice mm-hmm. big difference. Oh, yeah. You know, 2004, 2005, that was, for NASCAR, that was the biggest time. You know, and now it's like, not necessarily get back to those levels, but definitely trying to get new fans. That's definitely the biggest challenge at the moment because even compared to 10 years ago, there's just so many different things that you're going against, like Netflix and Hulu and and YouTube and Jackbox and whatever else you want to come up with, you know? I'm not going to lie. I never heard of Jackbox. Okay. <laughs> what is it's, the it's Jackbox? Inter- it's not. It's an internet game that's, that's a really good party game of friends, but... <laughs> Ah, okay. Speed, we'll transition from racing out for a moment. Obviously, this show is far more than just racing alone. Sure, the people that I haven't met are from that side of the, uh, of the world. But what also bring? What is also your passions that you just generally mm-hmm. enjoy? It's, there's one in particular in mind, but let's see if you bring that up before I answer it. Oh, that's fine. So a lot of people know me as the official masochist since I'm somehow still an Orioles fan. Um, it's been rough. <laughs> oh, it's boy. it's a lot of fun going early. into Camden Yards with a hundred loss plus team, but I am not one of the guys that decides to jump ship with a team that's 45 minutes down south just because they win a World Series. That's just not me. I'm too loyal of a guy to do that. Um, so trust me, when, when they ever get back to where they need to be. No one can say I'm a bandwagoner. Um, <laughs> you and I both. Yeah, I know it. For you as a Mariners fan, I know you are gnawing at the team for them to make the playoffs for once. Yeah, that's my goal. Make the playoffs. Give right. the drought to the Cleveland Browns. <laughs> that will bring so much gratitude that the Browns hold the, the drought. Mm-hmm. Compared to the Miami Marlins, like, at least the Miami Marlins and they won, won the two World championships. Series. Yeah, and that's the thing. They won, they those won two a World championship series. and then they blow it up. They... That is probably the most frustrating baseball team that had success. Period. They I don't know how people did something. I don't, I don't know how people can still be fans because it's just like you go from that highest moment, and then it just gets ripped from you. Yeah, like Chicago Bulls, especially yeah. now that we know of with the last dance, those who mm-hmm. do, but also those who don't know, like a lot of people, what happened. How is it that you win six championships in a span of eight years, then all of a sudden you're struggling to get into the playoffs? Right, it's just, it starts at the top. You know, I, I think with the management and Michael Jordan, as you could tell, it, there was... For all that success, there was still just, you know, that thing that 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 they couldn't just agree on, and you know, and it just came to a head. And you can just tell once Jordan retired, it just kind of fell down like a bunch of dominoes. They pretty much told Phil Jackson, the higher ups, like Ryan Storver and Kraus, "I don't care if you go eight and two, and oh, you're done." That's just crazy. Only for Ryan Storver to say, "Will you come back for one more year after the six? <laughs> I'll be like, here, here. how much do you want? Put put how much money you want, and then you sign it, then I'll sign it. <laughs> Especially when you have six championships in eight years. Yeah, it's like, if you're going to say stuff like that, know the fact that that's going to come back and bite you. 
Exactly. Mm-hmm. And has bitted them. Who knows how Derek Rose would have ended up had he not been such an injured prone. Right. Yeah. You know, it's just something that you can't control, unfortunately. And I know no. for Eagles fans, they're kind of feeling the same way about Carson Wentz at, at times. And now Nick Foles, this once revered quarterback that had this one season of glory, now he's just viewed as nothing but mediocrity as right. he was before. That's the beauty about sports. You can be on top of the mountain one moment, you're falling down the valley the next. For my Mariners, it's simple. Just make the postseason. 2019 was probably a horrible year to be a Mariners fan. No mm-hmm. doubt. We had the best record of baseball in April. And then I knew in the back of my mind, especially when Kirby the Arnold... The other two was going to drop, yeah. Yeah, when I when I asked Kirby Arnold, who's done stuff for IndyCar and the Mariners baseball over the years... He pretty much said, don't get my hopes up about them continuing their momentum. And lo and behold, after he said that, when we chatted about it at Long Beach, oh, nothing. I got nothing to say. It's yeah, and it felt fast. That was the crazy thing. It, it was like a high-speed car crash. It was that fast. Yeah, like, the AL West, so much potential. You, mm-hmm. Because you have the Astros, or after everything what happened, who knows how they'll do now. Right. You have... And even through all that, they're still a good team. Like, yeah, they, they've they lost a couple guys, especially Cole, but they're still a pretty darn good team. Yeah. The A's, there could be there. The Rangers are so hit. Mm-hmm. Miss, but meanwhile, it's the Mariners that just cannot... Get after over the lump, one, yeah. After that 116-win season, they for people forget they had two winning seasons, but... They just fell at the wrong time, considering you have Moneyball, the Athletics, mm-hmm. and that other team from Los Angeles that I refuse to call them because right. not just I'm a Mariners fan. We'll say that. I'm a Giants <laughs> fan as well. So I don't talk about the 2002 World Series. I refuse. The fact that Fox aired that Game 6, and I caught wind of that Game 6. Oh, right. Yeah, that did happen recently. <laughs> I said, I'm out. I'm not going on social media because if I watch that game, no matter how well Barry Bonds did, it's just bringing, that's the one thing I refuse to watch. Look, see, that would be like someone showing me the Jeffrey Mayer game from 1996 between the Yankees and Orioles, and I will tell you immediately, that man is never allowed to the city of Baltimore ever. (laughs) I do not want to go back to that 2002 World Series. I refuse to watch. As a matter of fact, that Super Bowl with the Raiders in the box, it took me literally a decade to watch clips of it again. Right, because it wasn't even close. No, and and the history repeated itself when my Seahawks beat the Denver Broncos with Peyton Manning, Von Miller, and those guys mm-hmm. right out of the gate. I said the game was over as soon as the video package happened when Sad But True played for the Seahawks. Yeah. <laughs> as soon as Sad But True happened, game over. Mm-hmm. And the funny, the funny thing is the, the one with the Broncos with the Led Zeppelins when the levee breaks, it's a good song. But right. compared to Sad But True... Two different energies, but that's what described those teams well. Exactly. Mm-hmm. That Seahawks era, they should have been much more. They could have been a dynasty. I know. They could have easily had back-to-back Super Bowls, but we all know about that play yeah. at the one-yard line that I'm not going to bring up because I know that's no. <laughs> those are terrible memories for you. No. I, <laughs> I At the time, I was just disappointed. It's like, no. Now, years later, it's like, nope, no. 
Yeah. <laughs> Instant angry react. It's like being on the racetrack and you're the last guy on old tires and you have a bunch of guys behind you on four fresh tires. That's exactly how it feels. Cold wit. <laughs> Cold wit at Homestead. Mm, oh, my gosh. I, I can imagine guys like Eric Jones and Justin Allgaier every now and then think about that. It's just, even Elliot it still blows my mind how that happened. Like, anyone, anyone that, that watches racing, who even watches it casually, would know, after five laps at Homestead, you don't stay out there. <laughs> I, I, they just, batters put, they ran out of tires. The drop to the back. <laughs> yeah, that's, that is true. They should have probably dropped at the back, knowing that there's so much stuff on the line with the championship. Right. They should have just. They should have just dropped. I know. I understand why they want to go for it because they get top ten. They'll probably get a decent amount of share of the price mm-hmm. money. But, but at the same time, oof, that that back that backfired in so many different ways. That whole situation was just mind boggling to me. It just it made absolutely no sense. Like I was happy for Suarez that night, but man, alive! <laughs> yeah, no, I was definitely happy because considering where I come from, it was good to see a Hispanic driver win one of those things. Right. Because you know, that's what our sport needs is more diversity. You know, it's just and he and he was the best car that night, so it wasn't like he didn't luck into it. But man, at the same time, it's just you wish that whole situation didn't happen with Colette. Even what was it? Montoya had us had a really good season when yeah, two thousand nine. Yeah, it was like what it was third in points. Third points. Mm-hmm. And people want to talk about the jet dryer, which which will lead me to the next topic. I am glad <laughs> somebody made a video of Montoya. No, I I love the iceberg. He is actually one of my favorite YouTubers. I I will come out and say that. Um, he is definitely one of my favorite YouTubers. And and if that's the craziest thing. Is like. I think for some NASCAR fans, that's how they remember Juan Pablo Montoya, but it's like he's won in Monaco, he's won the Indianapolis 500, he's won in IMSA. Like, he is one of the most accomplished race car drivers on this planet, and we're going to remember him for a jet dryer? <laughs> yeah, Monday night, primetime NASCAR will do that for you, which is a bummer, and I'm glad there's a few people feel that way. It's like, sure, people want to remember him for that, but people forget People don't want to remember. And it him wasn't like he wrecked it. Something broke on the car. It's not yeah. like he just decided to go down the back straightaway. I'm having a crappy night. Let me run into the jet dryer. <laughs> yeah, imagine had that race never resumed. We'd be talking about Dave Blaney as the Daytona. 500 as a Daytona 500 champion. champion. <laughs> Ryan Blaney, son of Daytona 500 champion Dave Blaney. <laughs> and Ryan's that would have a completely different ring to it. <laughs> I feel like Ryan will win one someday. Oh, heck yeah. Dude, what was it like? 2017, he could have won it, but a few miles came along, and then Kurt won, which Kurt was one of those that had been long overdue. Mm-hmm. And so, then even, and of course this year, just how freaking close he was. I will put this on record. The 2020 Daytona 500 will go down for me. It's probably one of my most memorable time periods, but also the gloomiest time periods, considering... I was not there at that Monday portion of the 500. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, it's just for I don't many really... reasons. It was just a whole spectrum of emotions, you know, when you have the president down there and, and his motor motorcade basically going down the front straightaway and then it rains and then the next day, like, in general, it was a great race and then the way it ended, you know, it, it's the whole spectrum of emotions those two days was just crazy. 
Yeah, and I, it's one of those big what ifs. Had I been there, um, how would I register that whole ordeal with Newman? Right. You know, I think, I mean, because it's been so long since we lost Dale Earnhardt, there's a lot of fans that have been in this sport for a long time that they don't know what how it feels to see someone die. You know, they haven't had to go through that. And it, it is going to be, this will always be a dangerous sport. I don't want people to ever forget that. We will always try to do everything we can to make these cars as safe as possible. But, you know, one of these days, something's going to happen. We, God forbid, we hope it doesn't. But if it ever does, you know, we got to, this is a dangerous sport. We should never forget that. No doubt about it. To wrap up that portion, part of the reason why I say that, because I was at start mm-hmm. finish for all of the other races, minus the ARCA race, because I was focused on filming the Bush Clash Polo War drawings. Right. Because mm-hmm. since they don't want to televise it anymore, it's not the same as it once. Yeah, I don't get that, but yeah. But I figured, to me, it was important to record it, live stream that one, whether 22 people would see it. It's like, I just want to bring something out there to show up that, hey, this thing is still going on. Now, right. that being said, the when that draw was over, I was looking at the scoreboard, I was looking at the archivist like, I swear, if Haley Deegan wins that damn Arca race, I swear. Right. <laughs> oh, her stock would have skyrocketed that no, night. not just that. And it's already up there. Not just that. I was thinking, you gotta be kidding me, man. It's, I'm filming the Bush Clash drawing, and I missed the I think miss this huge moment. <laughs> it would be the second time I would have been there for a Deegan win, but the difference is I have one photo of it, but then if it happened at Daytona, I would have had none. Right. Even, that would have been crazy. Yeah, even the Truck Series race, as good of a cap shot I got, I was still disappointed with it because it should have been much better. I was this close of capturing that one. Oh, man. <laughs> I, it's a pretty decent one where Grant Enfinger and Jordan Anderson, and then mm-hmm. in the tail in the bottom clip, you can briefly see Cody Roadboss' truck. Right. <laughs> that was an awesome finish, yeah. too. So, yeah, I take the photo stuff quite serious because that's what the ARCA race in the truck series are for me, mostly to do photos <laughs> because our photo provider doesn't cover the truck races. So when I... Oh, so you had to get it yourself. I figured that's where I can test my shots a little bit more and get stuff because in case if I want to do a feature or a sidebar, mm-hmm. I have it there. Now, we brought up the iceberg. Mm-hmm. I do, I do agree. He's probably one of the, he's one of the more better ones out there from the mm-hmm. NASCAR YouTube site because, at the very least, here's the thing about his stuff: he puts context into it. He'll narrate it. He'll point out something that happened during that race, tell the picture, like especially the missing ring series. He'll tell where they are compared to somebody else in the point standings. Right. Whereas in other stuff, you just see bare minimum. You and I know back in the day it would, well. I had to step aside because I started my YouTube career in 2008. Oh, yeah, a long time ago. <laughs> yeah, you've been around for a long time. Nixon, Brock Beard, the race uploaders out there, they've been there for a long, long time. Yeah, some of us, some people that watch YouTube now, they don't understand how it was for us 10 years ago. It wasn't truly race day until Brock Beard put out his starting lineup. That's how we started our race day. Yeah, <laughs> that, you also had plenty full of crash compilations. Mm-hmm, Adam SE3, yeah, that, that is a, that's an, a classic. 
I forgot the guy's name that used um, slow ride and free ride and all that. That that was another classic crash compilation. Used to <laughs> I think for a lot of people, that was their first NASCAR video. <laughs> yeah, you had so so many of them. Whereas back then, people forget videos where you had to be ten minutes. Yeah, that's right. And that's what made putting full races up so hard. <laughs> Excuse me. You know, because for me, I had a few races I had to put up, but it was like. Man, the YouTube limit back then was just making that so hard. So you would just cut it to like segments, you know, either segments of the race or just like the bullet points of the race. And then we eventually got to where we started putting the full race up. And now I'd like to hear how your channel was back then, because I obviously know. But for those who are listening, here's mm-hmm. a little bit of context, because I've already explained. Back in the day when I used to make YouTube videos, it was just get a camera, record Potato quality, comment yep. my video game crashes from, like, Driven, NASCAR 08. Boy, let me tell you about Driven. The fact there's no <laughs> gameplay footage of Driven is a travesty. It's a disgrace. I tell people, Driven is the race fans' version of The Room. <laughs> Except of, oh, hi, Mark, you are literally putting an IndyCar in a freaking pond for no reason. <laughs> or Max Papp is going airborne. And for I'm glad like a Josh Revell or a Marshall Pruitt are talking about Driven or even right. dinner racers because <laughs> it needs to be pointed out those continuity errors are horrible. It was such a terrible movie. You know, in my mind, Driven may be part of the reason why Kart's not around anymore. They didn't help when they were trying to make it a Formula One movie that was supposed. If I remember, it was supposed to be about Ayrton Senna. Oh boy! Right, <laughs> it was just Sly was terrible. doing Senna. I do not want to imagine it. We've we've seen some. Sebastian Stallone has had his moments, a positive, inspiring, even the little bit on Driven. Mm-hmm. Sort of pale by comparison to like the Rocky Balboas of the world. But at least we had a good wholesome message. Good wholesome message talking about Driven. We'll do that to you. Right, that's the kind of movie you get a bunch of friends together, get drunk, and just laugh at it. <laughs> like, whether it's the helmets not moving, like, they refer, an uncredited Paul Page said, the Vistion car when it's actually Roberto Moreno. Right. <laughs> but when you look close at the wrecks, even when I was a teenager, when they used to air on TNT, I knew the helmets were not moving. It was just, oh god, the continuity errors were just awful. They were just awful. And the drama in the movie, I just didn't care. Like, no, I don't care about your love triangle. I really don't. And there wasn't enough backstory to, care, to know or care. That's what Brock pointed out. You got to give us something to care about. Whereas Days of Thunder or exactly. even Talladega Nights, there's some context. Mm-hmm. Like, Especially with Days of Thunder. I love that movie. That's like everything that Driven should have been. Circle I'd rather watch are... Herbie before I watch Driven. <laughs> and I saw, I literally saw it because they have it on Disney Plus. Uh huh. And there's some instances where I'm like, honestly, it's cheesy and corny, and pushes the boundaries of sexuality, especially with Lindsay Lohan. Considering at that time period, notably that movie during her production, that's where kind of her life was starting to go twisted and upside down. Right. Yeah. What was it? She had heat exhaustion or something. I remember. A e true Hollywood story special about her talked about it. I don't think I've seen that personally myself. It has certainly been a tough time period for Chase Elliott fans. It's not other than he got taken out by Kyle Busch at Darlington in the closing laps. He had the race won 
and Sunday's Coca-Cola 600 that lasted six hours. As a matter of fact, it was the longest ever NASCAR race in history. Brad Keselowski ended up winning that one after Elliott went to pit road, which bit him in the butt, and he was extremely vocal about it over the radio as he knew that a shot of winning was gone. He was very discouraged. Despite all of that, he ended up crossing the line in third. However, his teammate Jimmy Johnson, who ended up second, was disqualified, failed post-race tech, so therefore Elliott ended up credited with a runner-up result. But there was little to no joy as he knew the shot of winning the 600 that Bill has never won in his entire career was gone. Fortunately, Chase was able to turn his luck around in the Gander RB and Outdoors Truck Series race on Tuesday, which not only he beat Kyle Busch, he won $100,000 as part of the big bounty deal for anyone that could beat Kyle Busch fair and clean. Those $100,000 will go to a charity of his choice to help the COVID-19 crisis. So there you have it, Chase fans. At least you got something positive out of this whole ordeal. Now, let's go back to the interview with Balter Racing. There's so many drivers that have promising careers that they don't bring up. You have to mm-hmm. find, you have to dig deep or have a lot of connections from another connection within a connection to know right. all the stories. And that's the same when I was doing the Greg Moore piece that was meant to be on a magazine. It was supposed to be in a magazine. It was not that easy because the original plan for the Greg Moore piece was not just Dario, Max Pappas, and James Hinchcliffe. There was a decent chance there if things worked out better the story could have been much more expanded could have been much more better and give more people to talk about because that's the thing being a journeyman after a while i think it was last summer i was done i was literally done like the red flags of the 90s i've realized that nobody seems to give a damn about the nostalgia factor they just care even if i show some gems of the red flags Mm-hmm. That's sure they're long, but stick around and just see how red. Flag, I wanted to incorporate red flag coverage as how it used to be. Right, it was so different back then. Like even for like the 1998 um, UAW GM Quality 500. Remember, <laughs> Terrell Waldrop get out of his race car and say he had too much uh, Tabasco. You know, funny little moments like that. <laughs> Last year, we finally NBC did a spectacular job showing stuff like that where. I'm not sure if you've seen my decade video, which is my last video for the unforeseeable future. Because when I put that video out, I was thinking I it took me a week, and I know mm-hmm. we both talked about it. We was we were gonna work on it, but certain circumstances just didn't pan. Now where I decided, right. you know, let me. Yeah, try. real life gets in the way sometimes, unfortunately. Yeah, yeah, let me try. Let me try because there was some good stuff like. At Talladega, as Joey Logano was yapping, yapping, the, the crew members were walking, were drinking Coca-Colas, walking in circles. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you need stuff like that. This is the kind of stuff you need to show to keep them interested. Instead right. of just like, oh, it's raining, let's go re-air. Some random show, or just let's watch last year's race. Which, that was another thing I don't understand. Why is it always got to be last year's race? There's so many good races at the... At, at a certain track that you can play, you don't always have to go back to last year. Well, with Chicago, yeah, we can understand because it was just a good battle and a good overall race, but for other mm-hmm. tracks... For many other tracks, yeah. You show something different. Keep them interested, because that's what back in the day was. They would show a race from a couple years ago, not mm-hmm. literally the year before. Yeah, and it's just, it's a little lazy, <laughs> to be honest. That I purposely showed it in my last Red Flag video in 2019, Mm-hmm. They were showing monster trucks before they went back. 
Yeah. <laughs> Monster trucks. Say, hey, remember Gravedigger? <laughs> <laughs> or Maximum Destruction or Bigfoot? Right. <laughs> and that's the thing about doing the people asking about the Xfinity and truck races. They're more difficult to find. I can't do a red flag video when there's missing races out there. I just cannot. Exactly. Especially yeah, how finicky the truck series races since NASCAR started uploading. Yeah, that's another thing. It's like there's the more they upload, the more you wonder is like, are they going to find these other races? And then they try to start taking stuff down, which is the ultimate concern. Yeah. And the thing is, there's there's no better than what McIntyre or JW or Smith. There's probably right. could be better or they have more or they have the raw satellite feed. Like the only Which thing, is like the ultimate. Yeah, the only thing that I say, okay, beautiful. The 2001 Homestead race, the 1980 Daytona 500, the only purely raw feed race out there. Mm-hmm. And then the Talladega race from 1970 that was missing for years. Wow. The other ones, there's like races that were in HD, they're in standard, or they're probably from a Charlotte house, mm-hmm. or there's just their cuts. Their transitions are janky. Mm -hmm. Or agrees just like the 2003 Daytona 500. They didn't show Bobby Labonte's spin. They went from lap 29 to boom. Dale Jr.'s on board and then Newman flipping. That is just, why would you cut that out? Like that was an important part of the race. That makes no sense to cut that out. If I want to watch the whole race online, I want the whole race. I don't want segments. Atlanta was was a bad example of it. That's the thing when Fox were airing those classic races, mm-hmm. they would show the whole thing. The only thing I would do without is go to commercial midway of a race segment when they were not meant to go to commercials at that time period. Right, and you could tell it was like, well, that was random, but okay. <laughs> but at least they didn't skip laps. It seems like they just jump right back in. Right, because the two thousand one Atlanta race was shown in full. Good. So they'll jump into the green flag, or at times they'll show the starting grid or all that. I find it funny how I even talked to one person that works for the NBC side of things. Mm-hmm. They have no clue how stuff like that works where a Fox will show ESPN races, especially those Bush Grand Nationals. Yeah, how are they getting access to that? Because you have to get some kind of deal to get some, some of these races that are now in your own network. That is interesting. Yeah, like with NBC, the only thing they've aired of the classic races that was not from the NBC banner was the Tony Stewart-Carl Edwards battle. Right. Yeah, so, yeah, I, I wonder about that myself. And that's the thing about folks when you're listening. We, when we get on a roll with any guest, we get on a roll where we have so many topics that we forget that we were talking about something. Right. That's, that's the nature of this show, people. <laughs> but, yeah, I go back to where we were. I knew after I made that last video, the decade video, when I realized it was not doing well at all numbers-wise. Because I mm-hmm. became so hell-bent at the tail end of my run by numbers. Where I, back before the Red Flag videos blew up with the 2017 video, mm-hmm. I said 100 is a good is a success. Anything under 100, not so much. As I grew, a little bit of a renaissance where I no longer was the guy that commentated my accidents on video games or NR or Art Factor, which some people still wanted me to do. All those requests, it just became so jarring. I just had no more time to do video, especially with writing stuff for Motorsports Review, doing right. the assignment. I and, think that's the 
Yeah, and that's another thing. It's like compared to like even five years ago or ten years ago, our lives changed. So you don't have as much time to work on YouTube that you used to. Like I know for me, it's like I I'm working fifty hours a week right now. So when it comes to YouTube, I would love to have more time to make promos and videos and just make stupid random stuff. But I have to be an adult first before I can go to get to a YouTube stuff. The thing when I made that video, when I realized it's my 2000th one, which Iceberg really loved, mm -hmm. pale by comparison compared to 2009 to 2019, my video editing and production wise is much better than it was. Right. I had to use, I forget what, forget what video software it was. I think it was AVS or whatever the hell it was. It had the watermark. And oh God! It was yeah. This like it was, was an unregistered hypercam too. <laughs> Those were the days, people. That you, you just, I was what was it, a teenager? Mm -hmm. I was a fr high school freshman when I made this, and yet people were captive. There were not a lot of stuff out there. Right. I know. For me, especially like the first several years of making videos, I, I know people laugh when I say this, but it's true. I use Windows Movie Maker. Try to make Windows Movie Maker and make music videos and try to make effects. And it, it, it was a weird smorgasbord, but, you know, did you have we, a Windows that's Vista? all we had to work on back then. That's all we had to work with. You did it with a Windows Vista? No. So it was basically XP. Okay. For me, it was XP to 7 to 10. Okay. And it was like years after these things came out. Yeah. And because with the Vista, Windows Movie Maker was absolute dog. Right, so it, it was. Crashes. It would basically be me downloading an old version of Windows Movie Maker to try to make these videos before I finally just broke down and started using Sony Vegas. That's what I used. That's what got me through my college years, and that's the mm -hmm. thing that I really miss. Sure, I love the writing and the photography and doing those interviews, but the thing that I loved the most was doing videos. Right, like my all-time favorite video. Well, before the decade video, because that one I was really proud, even though the numbers were absolutely egregiously bad compared mm -hmm. to... It's funny how... It's the, that's the thing. One video does really well. It's like, oh, it's not a red flag video. Man, I don't care. Right. That's another thing I've noticed. You know, meme videos or like just funny videos, those will always get views, but stuff like music videos that definitely take a lot more effort and time and to put together... Not as much, and it's like, well, shoot. <laughs> That's what's frustrating. Like, I still have the graphics series, which probably was my jump in the shark moment. Mm -hmm. Because even if I had the attention to what I was going with, when the Fox video blew up, Reddit caught wind of it. That's what. That's that was. I knew. Mm -hmm. like, yep, the end was near. Right. So I had to play it safe. Sure, I went further with the speed video, but then I look back. I was like, yeah, where did that lead me? Even right, when I was on the exactly. weekly podcast, I still didn't get a bump. No, no bump. Yeah, it's just it's just weird how YouTube works. You know, it's just I, I don't know how their algorithm works, but it's like one video, it's like here everyone can see it. Then the next video, it's like you have to like go through an entire forest to find it. That was the main one of the main reasons why I did the, the weekly podcast last year after the Spring Martinsville race, just to see people recognize or even tell my story. I didn't get mm -hmm. to really tell my story. And then I knew from there, that, at that moment, I realized, yep, the ship has sailed. I'm just right. a dinosaur. <laughs> I know the one time I was on the uh, weekly podcast, it was after a race in Texas, and we were like, God, that race was terrible. <laughs> so, 
it's a hit miss. It's yeah, November of 2018. Okay, I wasn't yeah. on that one, so. Yeah, it was fun. I I enjoyed my time with them. They're 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 chill. I liked it. Before my NASCAR decade video, which was my favorite video I've done since, and I and, then, and I took an inspiration from from one of your videos to make this one. It was the mm-hmm. Idaho volleyball season of 2016, where I used the the a Zach Hamsey song, the one you used from 2016. Logano. 16, yeah, 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 yeah. Now it's like, then when I look back, like a couple weeks ago, I was thinking. What the hell did I use this song for? Lyrically, <laughs> context-wise, this does not describe the volleyball team of Idaho in 2016, other than the track title. <laughs> that sounds like that sounds like this one person that made a video of me that was trying to do like like a roast, <laughs> and he's like, "Man, of all these rock songs and all this stuff that people use, and you decided to use a Katy Perry song, like." Well, that was I was trying to get the feel of the season, but all right. <laughs> yeah, that's that's what it was. Like, I even extended a little bit to fit all those videos because the, the context of the 2016 Idaho volleyball team, they didn't make the postseason till the very last night of the regular year. Sure, the Idaho volleyball video I think was like 600, 700 views, and then the the video I made a year later only did about a hundred. Oh wow. Whereas my yeah, it's it's inconsistent. It's crazy. And I think it's mostly because the volleyball team caught wind of it on Twitter because a few of them followed me, and then it kind of blew up for a moment, and I said, this was a well-done video. I really enjoyed it. It flowed well. I finally knew how to slow the video on a 60 frame per second so it makes it look cool and majestic. Mm-hmm. So I was proud for that video. And the sad thing is, after that, I haven't done any videos. If people are not going to care about my content... Besides this one thing, which I'm more known for that. And when I tweet this stuff on Twitter and nobody bats an eye of it, mm-hmm. what's the point? Yeah, I would say right now when it comes to YouTube, it, just, it seems like there's just a certain style that people love to go to, which, you know, I'm not complaining or anything, you know, that you know that's, that's what people want to watch. But, you know, you kind of wish sometimes people would open their horizons to more different kind of videos, you know, and, and just give other people a chance. Fortunately, there's some out there that the quality videos like a NASCAR man or a slap shoes out there. Yeah, I love slap shoes. Yeah. All of us go through a reinvent ourselves phase. Mm -hmm. And I think those that have been in the game for a long time have had their share of moments. It depends on where you stand with. For those red flag videos, I had no direction with my content. By that point, the crash commentaries has ran its course. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of stuff that ran its course that I said, you know, let me do a red flag because the reason why I did it is it's because nobody was talking about it. Nobody was doing stats. And right. the fact that it's gone still unnoticed is a bit discouraging from my end. And I've right. had it's crazy. Yeah, and I've had discussions with a couple of people like with you and Nixon in particular, mm-hmm. how those people that pour their heart and souls don't get that recognition. Whereas others that are doing it in bare minimum or they have those hot takes that is just rubbish or even trying to be something that they're not and make a mockery out of it i just said to myself you know what i'm out yeah and i i can't blame you it's it's definitely frustrating at times when you put a lot of heart and soul into something and it's just not appreciated you know i trust me i even for me, I went through like a few months last year where I, I just said, screw it, you know? What's the point of doing this stuff when no one really watches, you know? But, you know, I kind of just took some time off, and it's like, you know what? Even if I don't 
have a lot of people watch my stuff. There's still a few people that do enjoy it, and I don't want to let them down. You know, and I still do enjoy making this stuff, so, you know, I'll I'll definitely still make stuff for the people that do want to see it, and, you know, you just never know what one video may do for you. Whether people hear it or not, I hope they recognize that there's a reason why I laugh. Sure, mm -hmm. I still have videos in my mind that I'll do events somewhere down the line, but it's going to be a long while. There's just no time for it. Sure, this would have been an ideal time with the COVID crisis, but yeah. there's so much stuff of baggage that has just prevented me from doing it right now. So I said, you know, I'll just focus on one thing, try mm -hmm. to make it work. I have an outlet for those who just don't get recognized enough or have been in the YouTube game for a long, long time. Right, and I definitely do appreciate that, you know, and for some of us, we've been at this for a long time, you know, and just because we we aren't well-known doesn't make us less passionate about the sport. And hopefully somewhere down the line, depending how the racing calendar goes, hopefully we do get together on a race try. Absolutely. We were supposed yeah, to. Yeah, I know we Charlotte. were trying to do it for Bristol last year. <laughs> well, yeah, was it Robo? Or two years ago, yeah. Yeah, the last year's Robo, but... Uh, yeah, he, yeah. I financially I was running out of money because I was went from Gateway to Portland on off week the Laguna. That right, just and that, and that is just a crazy schedule. All out of my own pocket. People need to understand that it's all on my own pocket. Right, it, and it's not cheap to travel at all. No, it's and not. that does include hotel food. I <laughs> lean on Airbnbs just to cut the price because the first race I was ever credentialed was at Sonoma in 2018 and I mm -hmm. and my editors give me crap about it to this day that I spent $2,000 on a race weekend hotel that is oh, yeah oh they price gouge like crazy and I think unfortunately one of the worst offenders of that are Bristol hotels I will tell people this all the time don't even bother getting a hotel at Bristol. Do what I do and get a cabin in Pigeon Forge. I would rather drive from Pigeon Forge to Bristol 90 minutes and spend 150 a night, share that with five friends, and have a cabin with an actual bedroom than a two-bed hotel room that's 300 plus a night, which is just mind-boggling to me. Especially now. I'm right. guessing they're hemorrhaging money because they don't get the crowds like they used to. Exactly. But then again, it's like, well, guess what? There's more options than the hotels. And when Airbnbs and cabins are a better option, I'm not exactly going to choose a hotel. Yeah. And the thing is, when I was at Daytona, I had two Airbnbs. The first half, I had to be near Daytona Beach because mm -hmm. I knew my associate editor was not going to arrive till media day because I said, I want to do the whole speed weeks. The whole speed was to say I've done it. Right. Sure, I have to do it again in 2021 to officially say I done the whole speed weeks. Right. And sure this time I come back home on Tuesday, but I'm not going to leave Monday at all costs period. Right. You got to give yourself the extra day just in case. After that, I was like, yeah, I got to think accordingly. Fortunately, yeah, yeah I don't have to worry about it about IndyCar, except for the 500, of course. I saw one person that enjoyed my West Coast Wednesdays where I talk about the K&N West stuff. I'm like, mm -hmm. you actually watched that? Right. I and, and I was burnt out that I didn't finish it. I was just adamantly frustrated because Gateway was not my fondest race weekend, especially the Friday where everything just got so f***ed up with credentials and everything that mm -hmm. I was just done. I did not want to do West Coast Wednesdays anymore. People don't give a damn about the West. 
Right, which is unfortunate. I poured my heart and soul to just do West, even do race highlights on those West races, just to get myself back into doing highlight videos, which I haven't done in years. Right. So I decided, you know, I'll just do those hype videos. Like, if it was a race intro, finish that, but afterwards. Mm -hmm. And because knowing it was the last West race of Phoenix under the NASCAR name before it became ARCA, I knew I had to make it Avengers-esque with the music and just the concept. And I had footage that I recorded at the South Mountain Park where I was doing a photo shoot. Mm -hmm. So I said, you know, let me film some B-roll of the scenic of downtown Phoenix and all that, even though it's in Avondale, but still. Right. Last year was close like, enough. Yeah, last year was just that that turning point. I say, you know, essentially, I say to myself, I'm Jimmy Means back in the day, or JD McDuffie trying to compete with the RCRs and the Hendricks and the Bud Morris in the world. Mm-hmm. That I realized it's not easy. No, I embraced it for a while, but after then, what am I getting out of this? If people are gonna fall for minimum and all of that stuff. That's right. their prerogative, but there come a time that they realize, man, maybe those OG YouTubers from NASCAR had heart. Yeah, it because it's for the love of the sport, you know. It's not for personal gain. Like I, I have, I always tell people, I've not made a single cent, nor do I have the interest of making money off of it. I do it because I want people to be interested in NASCAR. I want people to be interested in auto racing. You know, yeah, it, it's. It's such a cool thing to be a part of, and it's been an, an, a huge, integral part of my life. And I try with every video that I make, especially with promos and music videos, to like portray that. Like I want it to be more than just here's a bunch of crashes. I want to show like a human element part of it. You know, it's oversaturated to the point where it's like the same thing, and people not crediting the right people. That thing has been become a like common problem, which I totally understand. You credit your stuff properly and accordingly sometimes, depending mm -hmm. on where you get it from. Right. And I nitpick the living hell out of certain videos. I won't mention it in the comments, but I look at it it's like you could have done better. L and J cuts exist, people. Yeah. <laughs> I know for me, whenever I, before I render something, I have to watch it like four or five times just to make sure I, I catch something that would be pretty obvious, like a dumb mistake to watch it four or five times to make sure like, all right, I'm confident putting this up now. <laughs> yeah. I got to get looking a like a complete it. idiot. <laughs> Yeah, I got to get a feel of it and see, okay, the NASCAR decade beat up from the 20-teens, whether you believe 2010 through 2020 is a decade or whatever it was. There was a debate on NASCAR Twitter about how what constitutes a decade. It's like, give it a rest. Like, wow, really? <laughs> so, so this is what we're debating about? <laughs> that's what the debate on New Year's Eve. When I put up that YouTube video, I was like, I hope this one guy is not going to throw a fit over it if he catches this video because... Mm -hmm. Maybe there would have been more problems to add a fuel to the fire. I'm not going to mention who it is, though, because it's just for the sake mm -hmm. of not stirring the pot. Right. Understandable. We talked about briefly about your other passions, like the Orioles and Bob My Mariners. That, again, 2019 was the worst season they've ever had to the fact we're the only team, my team, that's never made the World Series. I Thank know, you, that's... Washington Nationals. Yeah, <laughs> and it's even and it sucks for me as well because that team was for like thirty minutes from where I live, and it's like I don't like the Nationals, <laughs> so now I 
now I get to hear the little cousin. Now I was like, yeah, we got a World Series ring, and I'm like, yeah, we're not going to see that anytime soon. <laughs> yeah, I'm just worried about. I just want to play off. NFL will probably have a season compared to baseball. Who knows? Right. Yeah. I let's not even get started in that. It's just good grief. It's like let's figure out the money and let's play ball. You know. Yeah, otherwise, I think somebody said it on a Mariners group page or so that if if we, we'll be okay, come August 10th, we're going to hit our stride. You've obviously <laughs> not seen Urinating Trees video. You've obviously not heard enough that we stink in August and September. We're choke artists. Right. <laughs> exactly. It's like every time you think, all right, we're going to finally make the playoffs, and then it's like eight losses out of 12 games. Yeah. And then you free fall. Yeah, and the Oakland Athletics always prevail. I don't mind mm-hmm. Oakland, considering I, I was born in, in the Bay Area. I don't mind them, but you get, get yeah. One of my best friends is another fan and loves the A's. So yeah, it gets you. They have a really cool fan base too. The undermining A's. I don't know what they're gonna do with their ballpark ordeal. That thing is. Been <laughs> Those fans deserve a real ballpark. Yeah, they really do. It's just that stadium is just aesthetically ruined. It's a dump. <laughs> Yeah. What was it? Al Davis built something to block the scenic view. Right. What was it? Day on the green, you could see the the scenic view, whether it's Metallica playing in 85 and 91 or Leonard Skinner, whatever it may be. Mm-hmm. It felt something special. Now, now it just feels blech and just filled with just unused bleachers. It's like it would be in a Hey Arnold. Yeah. <laughs> you remember the episode of Mickey Kane's final game where Arnold and Gerald had like cheap seats mm-hmm. after good old grandpa realized that he gave, he left a 50. Right. Like, I left a 50. Arnold, come back. <laughs> you keep doing stuff like that and we're going to lose our sponsor. Hey, wait a minute. I had a 50 in here. Arnold, come back! Man, that was back when Nickelodeon was actually watchable. <laughs> I don't think I've watched Nickelodeon in 10 years. <laughs> it's been forever since I've seen Nickelodeon. I've only seen, right. only seen Nickelodeon stuff on Hulu with, with Jimmy Neutron and Rugrats, or even Hey Arnold. I binged Hey Arnold before the pandemic happened. Mm-hmm. And then I realized, geez, you, you want a perfect description of the Oakland ballpark? Go see the Hey Arnold episode. It's about it, how old and... I got and nothing how, other than just how old it is. Yeah, run down and just... They they just need a new ballpark. We'll just leave it at that. It's, it's just a mess down in the Bay Area with their sports as far as venues and money. Gotta love music talk, especially just randomly talking about Oakland. But seriously, they do need a new ballpark. And I don't know how, what they're going to do with Oracle since the Warriors are now at Chase Arena in San Francisco. But speaking of the Bay Area, I got to give a shout out to Matt Kenseth with that Metallica mask because it led to Twitter talking about Metallica songs. And I'll make this clear about Metallica. My top five changes all the time. Not just the top five, the top ten. There's really no true, honestly, in my eye, there's no true definitive top ten for me when it comes to Metallica. Because one day, I'll have something from Load being the top five or top ten. And then another time, it'll be just nothing but Injustice for All. Which, hence has said, any of the songs are listenable and are really, really, really damn good. And I'm not going to lie, that is definitely true. 
it is probably my second favorite, or not sometimes my favorite Metallica album. It's a toss-up between that and Master of Puppets. But again, all of us have our own preferences. So it's good to hear some Metallica talk about NASCAR because if it wasn't for NASCAR, NBC, or even Hot Wheels Turbo Racing, then my Metallica fandom would have not been there. And especially with my next guest next week, Emerson Arda, we do talk about Metallica a little bit. This is the part of the program where we'll talk about My Little Pony. Yes, we're going to talk about My Little Pony. When it comes to modern animated cartoons, I'm not into it a whole lot, and that includes My Little Pony. It's just me and the time period that I grew up that I just, it was not on my radar. But knowing Walter Racing has a passion for that show, I might as well talk about it. Let's go back to the interview with Walter Racing. What other passions do you have that best describes you? Because I know you're big into the My Little Pony stuff. And yeah. You... <laughs> I know that that is such a weird transition. It's like we've been talking about racing and sports, and it's like, wait, this guy watches My Little Pony? It's like, yeah. And then I tell people, it's like, it's been since 2011. They're like, what? <laughs> and then the next thing I say is, yeah, I have a local group that I am elite organizer in for like the last four years. So it's like, I'm not just casually into it. I've been like deep into it. How's that stuff work? How do you run that organization? Because as I mentioned, it's not all about racing because mm-hmm. it's more than just that. And that's one of the things I think is quite fascinating how our passions are completely different. Like for me, outside of racing, I'm into those indie pop music where they're, that are right. obscure. And I personally blame a couple of my friends that are women that listen to that kind of stuff. <laughs> and then for me, it's like, it's so funny. I go all the way back to April of 2011. It's like, you know, back then you when you hear My Little Pony, it's like, oh, you know, it's just the little toys for girls. And then the show comes out and it's it was so well made and it's like oh my god this is actually really freaking good and then there's a whole fandom for like people around my age and it it quickly became something to where it was like oh this is you know something funny like how in the world we're all watching this and then it, it's like they became like a second family and it's just so amazing how all that happened being a part of that family, that's the thing that I value is family. Sometimes it's within our personal home or a loved one, which from a lover's perspective, I haven't had because I haven't dated anybody in my whole life yet. That's unfortunate, but that's just besides the point. But other <laughs> families, like groups, what does that mean to you? Oh, my gosh. It means so much. Like for me, especially with the uh, MLP group that I have in, in our local area, D.C. and Baltimore, it gives people that avenue to be themselves. You know, because, yeah, we still catch a lot of crap even in 2020. It's like, oh, you watch My Little Pony? You you must be watching little kids. It's like, no, no, not even close. It's like, no, we, we love the show and everything about it. And and then the fandom that came from it, you know, it it's our own little community. So for me personally, being an organizer, it gives people that avenue to come out and be themselves and feel comfortable about themselves and it gives me a lot of pride in, in doing so especially now that the show ended or at least the generation ended last october you know we're one of the few areas that still has meetups obviously not right now because of the pandemic but we still have stuff that happened that goes on online so we still have a chance for people to meet each other and talk to their friends and make new friends and make lifelong memories. 
for sure. And that's how I feel about my Mount Triumph family, where the leadership camp, and I know they're having a difficult time because they won't be able to have the summer camp in July. Right. Except for that one year, it's always been July 6th through the 11th. It's just been a difficult time period. I know I haven't been involved in the camp since 2015, my last year as a junior counselor, but they still have a significant impact where I still talk to some of those people. Last August, it was sort of a mini camp reunion because my friend from high school, one of my closest ones, got married. Mm-hmm. For those that have not seen My Little Ponies, I'd imagine that the Friendship is Magic one, or there's more yeah. than just that since. Yeah, so my so Friendship is Magic is the fourth generation of the show. Um, there were three previous generations between like the toys and, and the show. Um, the fourth generation is the one that a lot of us got into because it was just so well made. The characters were so relatable. It was written so well. The music was amazing. It looked great. You know, and and then the fandom that came out of it, the artists, the the musicians, it, it's just everything about it. It it kind of felt, you know, I always tell people it kind of felt like going to a convention was like not exactly going to a racetrack, but it was kind of similar because we were all passionate about the same thing. And it was such a cool bonding feeling. With a show like that that made a tremendous impact on how it was well written, is there any other show that's come close before or since then that just had that similar vibe or match? Because especially in animation, those are hard to come by. Like, I guess for some people, you may look at Steven Universe. I think that would be one. But I think for what this show did, especially for the demographic, like people like me, which was definitely was not intended for at first, it, it really changed the game for a lot of people. And for us, like, we still have conventions. Even with this generation ending last October, we still have conventions. Not given, obviously, not right now because of the pandemic, mm-hmm. but we still go to Milwaukee and, and um, Southern California and Seattle. It's, we still have conventions around the country and around the world. That just tells you just how much the show and the fandom means to us. I think I remember the Seattle one happening. With... Right, Everfree Northwest, which is, for me, one of the best ones out there. My tastes are completely different. I definitely see some of it, because I remember back in the early 20-teens, I seen a couple of those clips, and I say, it's not that bad, considering where right. I am as a teenager <laughs> in high school, but at that point, it's like, I've had my personal taste. I was more... It's the early 20-teens. Why was I more into it at the time? I think I was watching some of the, some weird, obscure stuff like R.J. Berger. Not a whole lot compared to now, to the point that I finally finished The Office. I still, right. have, I still have Breaking Bad to watch. I'll admittedly say that I have yet to see yeah, it. Yeah, I haven't. I'll be honest, I haven't watched it either, so that's on my list as well. I made it a point that if I'm going to binge watch a show, that's probably going to be the one that I'm watching mm-hmm. first. When will that be? Time will tell, I guess, for 13 Reasons Why Season 4. Yes, people, I know you're wondering why <laughs> would they have a fourth season. I'll finish it because I'm kind of that guy. If I'm committed to watching it since Season 1, I gotta finish it out, especially nowadays. Like a exactly. Beverly Hills, yeah, like a Beverly Hills 90210. Just, and this is another problem. Music dubbing. My goodness. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's one of my biggest pet peeves, whether it's ECW or even WrestleMania 3. R- Ricky the Dragon Steamboat came out with Sirius. Obviously, Sirius, the Alan Parsons project, is synonymously known with Michael Jordan and the Chicago Bulls. Right. I was thinking, oh, it's on FS1. So I'm thinking, oh, 
they can actually air the serious version with the song, not the dove one. Don't get me wrong, the dove version of Ricky Stenhouse... I mean, Ricky Stenhouse. <laughs> <laughs> wow, Ricky Stenhouse, that would actually make me watch wrestling. <laughs> oh boy, I gotta make the only way that would work is if he has a mullet. If he does have a mullet, it will not work. <laughs> Ricky, drag, Ricky the Dragon Steamboat. The dub, <laughs> the, the, the dub theme, the dub theme of that song, it sounds epic. But come on, if it's not how it sounded originally, I don't care. Then right. I realized, like, oh, they're airing the WWE Network version, which doesn't have series because they're petty and cheap. They won't pay for the Royals. Oh, that is cheap. <laughs> it's like, ah, oh, I'm a music junkie. And mm-hmm. I'll say that literally because I just mentioned I'm into the indie pop stuff like the Aces or School of Seven Bells or ZZ Ward and all that. But, uh, mm-hmm. Yeah, a metalhead that listens to indie pop. Yeah, we all... Chris... <laughs> Chris Jericho it's, listens. It's to... okay. There's a NASCAR guy that watches My Little Pony, yeah, so we're Chris, we're yeah. in the same league here. Yeah, Chris Jericho <laughs> is a metal guy, but Fawn, Brian Adams, and Duran Duran is good stuff. So we all have our interesting taste, and people forget a Michael Bolton was a metal guy before he became this ballad guy. Mm-hmm. Dove music is the bane of my existence every now and then. Especially, that's why I cannot fully finish 90210. They aired it on syndication, probably for the sole reason because Luke Perry passed away recently, like, year at that time. So they obviously aired the whole series. Mm-hmm. At least that one had its original music. And, I, and when I was watching it through Hulu, especially the ones that are available, because there's so many, it's an incomplete series. Incomplete right. on Hulu. There's so many missing episodes. When you have that... And then the dub music where you put on, what's it, a night, a season one or two or three episode from 90, from 90 through 92. Mm-hmm. I could easily tell that song does not fit 1991. It fits like punk, skater boy, 2000s music. Right. Yeah, and you know, it's funny that you mentioned that, because I know whenever I do a promo and someone will say, let's use System of a Down for the Daytona 500, I'm like... That's not the feeling I'm trying to portray with the biggest race. What, <laughs> it's got a good feeling and emotion, not like, oh, yeah, rock music, we're going to crash them up. You know? Yeah, like Toxicity or Chop Suey. Yeah, it's like <laughs> I love System of Town, but that that works for like a high throttle short track race, not, not for Daytona or Darlington, you know, or Indy. When I made those hype videos, I used some Phil Collins and Rod Stewart because I said it fits the scene. Right. It's like what David Land would say. Those first two minutes of a telecast is going to set the tone. And if you set the wrong tone, then people are just going to be turned off. And and that's why music is an instrumental part. And I know one of the major attributes you've done for this community on Twitter and also in just the music, is find those obscure tracks. I've right. had a hard time finding some of them. Now, finding out what happened with the one main NFL music uploader, Dave Volsky, who mm-hmm. had to shut down his channel. Right, I was, which sucks. Yeah. It had all these obscure music that was used in the Indianapolis 500, Formula One, right. NASCAR. Because trust me, I'm definitely not the only one that tries to find this music. But man, whenever we hit on something, it's like you hit on one song and then they have an album and it's like five or six. And it's like, oh my God, I remember this. Now, I don't know 
if you know this, but I think the ultimate song we're still trying to find that is like the ultimate, like the highest of the high is the Daytona 500 song from 2002 to 2004 for NBC. Yep. No one has ever been able to find that. The day that happens, I will die a ha- I will die a happy man. <laughs> yeah, because for the longest of time, people were saying, oh, it's the orchestra version of a Metallica song, but I listened through the no, S&M album. It's not. Exactly. No, it's not. It, it was something that was made by somebody that no one has ever said anything about, and I am waiting for the day someone uncovers this. It, that- someone has to know. Yeah, that and the NBC team, they went with from 04 to 06. Those are the two most elusive racing teams out there. Right. My elusive yeah, that one too. I have no clue what that is. Yeah, my elusive theme back then was the 1987 Formula One Championship Year Review introduction song that was also used by NFL with highlighting Dick Buckus or Robert Brazil. Right. Finally, it took this year for somebody to find it. And I said, wow. you found it? You found the track info? Give me the track. Give yeah. Me the track. I want... <laughs> Send me the track so I know I'll have it forever. And now with what happened with the Volsky's channel on YouTube, at least I have it. Whenever My I find a elusive... song like... Yeah, go ahead. My most elusive one now is that Speed's starting grid music that used an F1. Yeah. Oh my god, yeah. Whenever you find a song like that, you kind of like have this moment where there's like a light bulb on, on top of your head. It's like, oh my god, I remember this! And you kind of look like a madman that's just going like a lunatic for 15 seconds. And then someone looking at you like, what the heck is your problem? Like, no, 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 you don't understand. <laughs> yeah, I think the last time we felt that, a lot of people felt that was when the speed scene was finally in full. Oh my god, yeah. <laughs> So you got to be hoping for someone that works inside of these companies to, like, just leak this stuff out because that's really the only way you get some of this stuff. I'll tell you what. If NBC – I already love NBC's coverage. If they really want me to love them, like, forever, they would talk to the people at Turner and use the old NASCAR and TBS music for their throwback weekend at Darlington. That would be perfect. Especially if you can still bring Ken to do those narrations and productions. Shoot, Ken, Ken Squire sounds good for his age. He can do it. <laughs> he even did a NASCAR Heat 5. Right. He he is our Murray Walker. He's our natural treasure from the mm-hmm. television side of things. He is one of the most influential people we've ever had in our sport, plain and simple. His way of doing things was just unlike anybody else, and same with Murray. He was able to paint a picture that people would never think of doing with race cars. He came at a time here where you had to do that, where like with radio with Sid Collins as well was another one that you yeah. had to literally paint the story. Exactly. Nowadays, I don't know if I'll ever get the opportunity to do stuff with radio or TV, considering how the direction of things are going, and also kind of how my route of my career is going. Right. If I it's ever, a really tough business to get into. Yeah. If I ever had the chance, I tried to do something familiar, if I can, and remember it. Because that's the thing. I will remember one thing, and then I forget. Yeah. <laughs> it's like I tell my wife sometimes, like, you have an idea, write it down. Because in 30 minutes, you're going to forget about it. <laughs> it's literally what happened, because I was thinking, I, a YouTube clip about The Office, the basketball game. It's like, wait a minute. I haven't seen the... Why, did I see? Have I seen this episode? Right. And I realized, oh no. <laughs> Whatever happened, I jumped an episode in season one, which was only like six episodes. It's like, 
how did I miss this basketball? So I'm like, nope, I'm pausing my binge and we're watching this. Ep- I'm watching this one right now. And it's like, how did I miss this basketball one? It was well done and hilarious because all of us have been that one guy on that court. Right. <laughs> I was not a good basketball player at all. That's why I decided to do videos for high school. Right. <laughs> so, you People know, keep mistaking me for like a linebacker or something like, I am not an athlete, not even close. <laughs> I tried it. I knew my place. So it's like, yeah, too much of a back marker to continue. I said, you know what? I'll just go find something else. And speaking of Ken Squire and Murray Walker, that's kind of what mm. I did with basketball videos. I only have one up, but I have all the seasons except for about five or ten of them. I know three I'll never have because the coach that we had never gave me the last three games of this sophomore season. Mm-hmm. I'm hoping that one day I'll take the time to put it together and put some clips. If I put it on my main show, I was like, what's this? This is not the red flag video. Oh, I know. And that's, it's and like we have other interests, you know. <laughs> Dub music is totally the bane of my absolute existence, if you haven't caught wind. I don't know what I was I thinking when I said Ricky Stanhouse, <laughs> the pole sitter of this year's Daytona 500 back in February, no less. Speaking of wrestling and WrestleMania 3, on Twitter, WWE on Fox posted, what is the most iconic photo in the history of that company? No question for me is Hogan and Andre that stare off at WrestleMania 3. As, as some people pointed it out, this is the only answer. Sure, we have the most with Brett and Sean, the end of an era with Sean, Hunter, and The Undertaker, or Austin Rock, Rock Hogan, but there's only one, and it's going to only be one. And that is no doubt Andre and Hogan, because WrestleMania 3 was the pinnacle of pro wrestling, sports entertainment, or the WWF, however you want to view it or label it as. There's only one, and it's no doubt Hogan and Andre. And boy, WrestleMania was a different vibe back in the day. So fun fact, Pontiac Silverdome actually had billboards of the Cherry Bowl that only lasted two years. And the one Super Bowl they hosted back in 1982, they kept it in the stadium for some reason. I don't know, I guess they were proud of it, which honestly, it's all for nothing. This poor old Silverdome is no longer around. But anyways, WrestleMania 3, pinnacle point of the WWF. So no doubt it was the most iconic photo with that stared out with Hogan and Andre. All right, let's get to the final part of my interview with Valtteri. What takes you to think about the music and the setting and the tone when you make those incredible videos? Yeah, so what I do, it really depends on the track and the race. Like, what I would use for the Bristol Night Race would not work for the championship race, and what would work for the Southern 500 would not work for the Daytona 500. So you have to take the events in its own thing and set the tone with the kind of music that I look for. Like, I know for me, when I try to find a, a song for a promo, most of the time it's not songs that people know. It's like digging through channels that barely no one knows of, like Finding Two Steps from Hell and Audio Machine and all those kind of people, you know, digging through is like, I love this song, but it would not work for this. Until you just hear like the first minute of a song and immediately go, okay, I can picture this, I can picture this, I can put this moment at this at this point of the video, and then it's like, oh my god, I can actually use this. So it, it is a process. And then once you finally put that song in there, then you start finding the clips that can match that. And then 
you could tell its story from there. You've got to put time into those videos because if you're going to make this stand out, you got to match with the tone, the flow, and everything because all of that right. matters. When I made that Idaho video and then the NASCAR decade of the 20-teens, I knew I had to go for stuff that fit the decade and had its moments. And especially when you have commentary and audio you want to implement, you got to mesh it well, and it's got to be quick. It's got to be straight to the point. Right. Like, I could have gone on a 20-minute video with woes from the NASCAR rules. I only went for, like, very few, like your Tony Stewart's, your Matt DeVettadero's, Denny Hamlin. Mm-hmm. I think it was a 12-minute video, and I said, for that, it's as long as I wanted it to go. I didn't want to make right. this. Because there's so much. Yeah, when people look back at the 20-teens, NASCAR short is not the best decade, but it had its jazz. It had its amazing moments, yeah. Yeah. Like Trevor Bain win the Daytona 500, basically just being a kid. Tony Stewart's incredible 2011 playoffs. You know, Jimmy Johnson winning the seventh championship. Like Jeff Gordon's Martinsville win. Like yeah. there were some incredible moments. Yeah, I use Fallout Boy, Within Temptation. I even use Red Dead Redemption music and Godsmack because I said those songs fit. Not just because they're from that decade, so that's uh, that's uh, that was key, but it also fit the situation as an art with the Red Den music. That's I was thinking, what song will flow with an in memoriam? Because I wanted to incorporate an in memoriam portion in right. the video. I said, hmm, to live is to die by Metallica, the acoustic portion. But then I realized, no matter how I loop, it was like it was not working. And then, yeah. I thought about it. I forget how my thinking process was. For, but then I heard this one song from Red Dead Redemption. It's like, this works. It has. Yeah. It, 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 it fits. With a, it fits. It, because if I was thinking of In Memoriam, it's got to be a, kind of a little bit of emotional sentiment. So I went yeah, with the Red Dead song. Mm-hmm. And that's one of the tougher things when I do like an end of a year video. It's like it has to incorporate everything. It's got to have the moments where it's like the most intense moments on the racetrack, tributing people that we've lost over the year, hitting the biggest headlines, the finishes. Like everything has to be encompassed into that one song for me personally. And that is sometimes really, really hard to find. But you've done it a re- extremely well. The you like what was it? The one with Katy Perry. So I'm far from the biggest Katy Perry fan. But with right, this song. that's I'm not listening to Katy Perry every day. I promise. Yeah. But I'm like, oh my god, this song works. Yeah, it works. And then when you put the telecast and the radio broadcast with the clips with multiple angles and all of that, this that's the kind of stuff that should be revered. And that's yeah. kind of what I was going for. And that's one of the re- main reasons why I felt like. We got to collaborate considering. Yeah. You know what? I would love to do it. I know it didn't work for the uh, decade video, but if you ever want to collaborate, let me know. I will. I am definitely interested. No, most certainly. It's just a matter of time will tell. But when I gave you the idea, this was probably going to be my last video for a good while or who knows. Like I mentioned a lot of times, my heart it depends where my heart is within a year or two. Mm-hmm. I had the idea. I had my clips. There's some that I forgot or didn't make the cut because I forgot about Dave Steele and my in memoriam. It's like, and that's the thing. When I that one I had to work to redo the most because then it's like, oh yeah, Billy Stanrush. Oh, why did I forget about Dan Gurney? Right, yeah. It's always that one or two people that it's like, oh my god, how the heck I forget about that? 
Yeah, like I include Brian Kloss and Ted Christopher and those guys, but I was like, mm-hmm. how did I forget about Dave Steele? Basically, what I put together, that's kind of how the vision that I had in mind. I was thinking, how am I going to incorporate... Oh, yeah, I remember we were talking about this, is that I, I was going to go with the 2000 y- images of the year from ESPN with the YouTube song. I was thinking I was going yes. for that. But over time, it's like, you know, let me make it my own thing. Start off with Damage Incorporating, show scenic shots of every single cup track. Mm-hmm. Because I was listening to the opening of Damage Incorporated, I think, at Daytona in February. Yes, I was thinking about this decade video even then, last February. Thinking, mm-hmm. how many tracks do we have in cup? How many times did that op- the same tune tone went with Damage before it kicked in in the level 11? It worked. Sure, yeah. I couldn't incorporate the Robo, but it's still Charlotte. It's the same. It's menu. still Charlotte, right? So I was like, "There, I'm, do- I'm doing it. I'm going with it." And then another thing, I was trying to do is just find clips that doesn't have graphics on it. Oh yeah, that's a- another fun one. It's like when sometimes where you're just running out of clips and you just have the race, and it's like, "All right, all right, Sony Vegas, do your magic." <laughs> I know it may look look like 240p but i'm hoping for the best <laughs> i think the the lowest quality video i could use was when marcus ambrose derped it at sonoma it's sonoma yeah oh my gosh i remember that i was, that was mad. so tough i was furious because <laughs> this was at a time i was the biggest anti-johnson guy i think for a lot of us it wasn't that we hated jimmy johnson it was a combination that we were jealous of jimmy johnson and we just were ready to watch someone new win it's like i love jimmy johnson but jesus christ i just want to see someone new win the championship my vitriol for johnson was in 04 through texas 2014 mm. and there's you know why texas 2014 it ended and even before yeah. everything that happened before everything, I was thinking, my mind, if Gordon doesn't win, if Johnson wins it, I'll be okay. He's non-factor. He's not. He's out of the championship contention by that point. Right. But it made him so much sweeter than Johnson. One was like, you know what? My vitriol is over. Johnson is on the good side for me now. For me. <laughs> right. Sure. I still view him as the John Cena of NASCAR, and I'm still waiting. We're in a Facebook group. I'm still waiting for <laughs> when he finally scores a win one more time. Even one more time. I have that Jimmy Johnson video clip with the John Cena when the John Cena meme was the hottest meme of the year, 2014 or so. Right. I have that video right. It's like, I want to post it so bad, but Johnson hasn't <laughs> won. Right. From a racing fan side of things, I take my media cap off for this one. I was thinking, dang, God dang it, Jimmy. Why do you have to run in the back of Busher? I know that moment. And I'm like thinking to myself, Oh my god, like you had a half a second. Even worst case scenario, you didn't win that stage. You're you still got track position. It's like and that and especially with a track like Darlington, a lapse of judgment like that, at some tracks you can save it or if you do spend you have enough room to save it. That's not the case at Darlington. You lose it off of that corner, you're going to probably hit something because your tires are that shot and something comes up that quick. But Johnson has shown some performances. He has the speed. The whole Hendrickham has speed. It's just the need to polish some stuff up. And that's yeah. what I talked about. Cliff Daniels time. has definitely given him some life. That was a great, great decision to put him on top of the pit box. He has given Jimmy Johnson some life. It's just they just need that full day where they put everything together and Jimmy 
keeps their track position and just doesn't make the same mistake that he made last Sunday. But honestly, in my mind, I was thinking, when they made that decision to go from Kevin Mandarin to Cliff Daniel, I was like, I'm okay with this. Because I'm yeah. not I'm not big on the Mandarings, either one of the Mandarings, especially Jeff Mandarin. Yeah, it's just some combinations, like, they just don't work out, you know. And I think between Mandarin and Johnson, it's just, after a while, you could just tell this was not going to work. But you can tell, the way Cliff Daniels leads a race team I, I love it. I love how he leads a, a race team. I feel like even after Johnson retires, he's going to be someone that's going to have a lot of wins during the course of his career. When we look at Gustafson, it's funny how his three drivers that he's had as Crucci, Gustafson has been involved in so many highs of highs and lows of lows in his yeah. entire career. And he is probably, I know I'm being very biased as a huge Chase Elliott fan, um, yeah, he is one of the best crew chiefs that has not had a championship. I know that sounds weird because a lot of people cry and moan about Alan Gustafson, but it's like, all right, you get rid of Alan Gustafson, who's better Who's better out there right now? And yeah. you're just going to get crickets. Yeah, aside so, from Steve Letard, <laughs> Gustafson's probably the best one we got as far as the crew chiefs is concerned because Rodney's got one, Paul Wolf has one, has one. Todd Gordon, Todd Gordon has one. one. Seems like all the big names have championships with them. Cole Pern before he left. So that just mm-hmm. leaves from the crew chief side, the elusive it's one is Adlin. He is by far the best crew chief without a championship, bar none, in that garage right now. Pocono 2015, because with Jeff, like, Allen is like the no nonsense guy. That's how. Yeah. No nonsense. Yeah, he is a general on top of that pit box. He, you know, especially those moments where. The car is damaged. You have six minutes. He he is on your butt to make sure you're doing what you need to do to get that car back out there and in the right condition that it should be in. And to make sure that you have every single part, every single piece in that pit box for every single situation. I think the best example of that, I can go back to last year in Martinsville, and I'm thinking the back of my head after Chase broke an axle, I'm like, okay, I know that axle is probably – it needs to be have we need to have one on pit road. Let's see if we can fix it on pit road. It wasn't there, and Allen like lost it. And I'm like thinking in the back of my head because I think like a crew chief sometimes watching these races, and I'm like screaming, "Why in the world was that not in the pit box at this time? You got to be prepared for everything." And I think Allen Gustafson is the kind of crew chief that thinks about everything that could possibly happen, and he wants it down to a T. If it happens. This is how we're going to fix it. And I think that's the kind of crew chief you need to have. Someone who's not going to take a bunch of crap, someone who has a plan, and someone who is not afraid to take chances. Allen is definitely not afraid to take chances on top of that pit box. And and I think that's one of the biggest reasons why he's one of the best crew chiefs on in that garage, bar none. Most certainly, that's for sure. That time will come for him. because It will we'll- definitely be sooner rather than later. Yeah, Again, I'm biased, but <laughs> it's no, it's still it's still possible. It's just a matter of everything needs to be polished, especially, especially when it comes in a round of eight. Yeah, that has been the bugaboo for this for this nine team has been the round of eight the last three years. They just need a they need a little more point gap, and b they just need the win in the round of eight. That is the one thing they're missing, because now 
that Phoenix is the last race, Chase could win at Phoenix. He can absolutely win Phoenix. If they could stop making mistakes at Phoenix, he could win a race there. They just need to get there. To wrap up this show, I know we've gone on an extra amount of times. So <laughs> yeah. Where can they find you as far as social media is concerned? Sure. I, I keep everything very simple. I use the name Balto Racing for pretty much everything. So it'll be uh, Twitter, at Balto Racing, or if you want to watch my videos for some weird reason. Um, if you're really interested in listening to Right Now videos or watch a promo, um, you just find Balto Racing on YouTube as well. So basically Twitter and YouTube, and also I'm on Discord for people that use Discord as well. So those are the main ones that you can find me on. And no doubt, people, give it a watch. If you want to see how videos are done or promos are done, it's definitely the channel out, out there. That's pretty much the standard bearer, not counting myself, of course. Right. Uh, Man. You and Brock are probably one of the best ones that have done video introductions out there, period. Thank you. Thank you. I really do appreciate that. I, I definitely do want to put a lot of effort in what I do and, and try to make our sport look the best that I can possibly do. Final remarks. If there was one, a couple words to describe this episode. What would it be? Oh, I would say fun. This was. It's really nice to just sit down with friends and just talk about racing, especially for someone like me that lives in Maryland. There aren't a lot of race fans around here, so any chance I get to actually talk about racing for a generous amount of time, I am beyond ready to do that. So I, I would say this was a lot of fun, and I am so glad I, I was able to be on here with you. Absolutely. It's an absolute pleasure to have you on as my first guest of my program. So, with that being said, it's time to shut the lens. And there you have it. The first guest is in the books. I gotta work on my phrase a little bit more. Time to shut the lenses. I think I'll come up with something better over time, but we'll go with that for now. So, yeah. This is what you're going to get. We're going to hear some stories of other people, their upbringing, their journeys. We'll, t- we'll banter. It was just like a casual conversation that we had. Sure, there was some stuff I brought up that were important to this conversation and why I wanted him to be on the show. But hey, when you have casual conversations, those are what makes good interviews. And at times, I would say some dumb stuff or something that would, is total blooper material. That's why I put the Stenhousing at the very beginning. Because I, 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 made, I was like, well, there's there's the intro. Because that's what you're going to get. We're going to start off with a little bit of a clip with my conversations with my guests. Then I'll have my talk for about 5 to 10 minutes. And then I'll let the guests introduce themselves. And then we'll jump right in. Fingers crossed that we'll try to keep it in under 2 hours as best as possible. Possible. But if it goes a little bit longer, then of course we'll split it up into two parts. Or if it's relatively quick, then it'll be an hour. We'll see. It just depends on timing on the guests and vice versa. Alright, let's talk about the Indianapolis 500. As remember, that will be in August. And I hope, fingers crossed, we will have that 500 in August because there's so much implications as to why that 500 is a dream to me. And I will totally discuss about it on the next episode when you'll hear the interview between me and Emerson Arden. One of my good friends over the years from the good old state of Texas. You're definitely going to enjoy that one as we talked about a lot of things including how a Metallica fan was going to go into pharmacy but also had a passion for theater. And in that conversation it was the first time we've ever had one. Truly informally despite knowing each other for the longest of time through video games. So you definitely do not want to mess that as once again... 
That will be on next Thursday. Let's get on with those plugs one more time. Once again, Behind the Exploratory Lenses on Facebook. You can listen to it on SoundCloud, Spotify, iTunes, and Google Fingers Cross. Now, more outlets could be available for you guys to listen to. On Instagram, it is LuisDTorres94. L-U-I-S-D as in David, T-O-R-R-E-S-9-4. On Twitter, it's at DLT Files. And my personal website, LuisDTorres.com. That's where you'll find Luis Torres Multimedia, where you'll see my photos, my works, and also this podcast if you want to listen to one sole place. And last but not least, Motorsports Tribune. That's what the site that I write for to cover all the racing that I'll continue on. And hopefully come Indianapolis, I'll be represented in loud and proud. For now, until we meet again, I hope you enjoyed this episode. As remember, at the very end of the day, everyone deserves a voice. In the meantime, catch you guys later. Yeah, I wonder how eating ice cream with a mask would look like. That would be egregiously <laughs> tedious. <laughs> Because you have to hold one hand with the mask and then try to eat the ice cream, but you're guaranteed you're gonna, you're not gonna have, you're gonna, you're not gonna eat the whole thing in. You're gonna have a mess. Right. <laughs> try to go full days of thunder. Yeah.